Hello, and welcome to episode 75 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, September 30th, 2021. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? I'm really excited to report that it is Fat Bear Week. (laughs) What? I just learned about this the other day. And this is a bracket I can get behind. Okay. But the Katmai National Park and Preserve, which is part of the National Park Association, has these this fat bear week bracket. So they, <laughs> you know, on their bear cams, they take pictures in the springtime and the early summer of the skinny bears. And then how the bears pack on blueberries and salmon. And I just love the body positivity here. <laughs> First of all, second of all, it's a bracket that I actually understand. So yeah, Fat Bear Week. And I love so it. it's, it's like a March Madness kind uh-huh. of bracket. Can we vote? Uh, I don't know. I think it's a. There's adorable pictures of bears. This is so cute. I know. I love it. I don't it's know fantastic. if you can vote. Right. I'm just following along because it's right. super delightful. And the winner is October fifth. Will be decided. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> Not in time for the podcast, but... But you can go check out and see who won. (laughs) Excellent. Good to know. How are you? (laughs) Uh, Fantastic. Sure, let's go with fantastic. (laughs) It's hot out. It it is our summer. It is summer now. It's our summer. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, things are getting busy. I don't see my children anymore, which is very odd. Things are getting back to normal, much like our podcast. We will have our four classic segments on the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand. So on the needles, big news in West Coast stitching, Stitches West! Yay! I'm so excited because I'm going to make an effort. (laughs) (laughs) So registration opened last week, I guess a week ago. Yeah. You would think that at this point in the game, they would have figured out registration traffic. Apparently not, because it was not fun. But we both got our classes. Yes. We even got a hotel room. We haven't quite figured out if we're going to Airbnb or hotel, but we have the option. And uh, yeah. And I'm taking a class that I have absolutely no, like... It is hilarious. ...business taking. I'm taking two, like, entry-level classes, and Courtney is taking (laughs) color work brioche cables or something. Brioche intarsia. Oh, brioche intarsia, yes. Yeah. I have no business taking this class. Um, that's how my brain works. It sounds awesome, though. I'm kind of jealous. I kind of went with teachers. There were teachers that I wanted to yeah. take classes from, so that was my guiding principle. That is um, a much more sound principle, because basically I just looked at the little image and thought, I would like to knit something like that one day. I will learn that. Yes. (laughs) Well, but I mean, that is the kind of thing that is going to be easier to have someone tell you how to do it than try and muddle through on your own. That, So I think that totally makes sense. Yeah. Okay, thank you. And it is at the same time as one of the classes that I wanted to take, so I did not sign up for it, although I was very tempted. Yeah, but you'll have the benefit of all of my knitting (laughs) know-how. This is true. You can teach with, like, maniacal glee. (laughs) So... Hopefully it will happen. I think this is the first live event they're planning since Stitches 2020. So it'll be two full years. It's not happening till March. 
It's gonna be in Sacramento, which is why we're actually like making a whole trip of it. We'll be, we'll probably... Everyone has to be vaccinated. Everyone has to wear yeah. masks. And so. we'll probably even be boosted by then because we were yeah. late in the game. We shall see. But, we'll um, see. Yeah. So hopefully it happens. Fingers crossed. But we got through the registration process. So that's, that's a start. And then I've been doing actual knitting. I have more than like one project to talk about, which is kind of fun. Great. Yeah. So I have two finished objects. Both of them are cowls. The first one I talked about last time, which is the Andamo Cowl by Sarah Jordan. And this is the two color one in the Knit Circus Yarns Greatest of Ease in Hawaiian Sunset and Sensible Miss Dashwood, which is a purple and a sunset colored one, as you might expect, with kind of a very geometric pattern in the purple. And then the sunset colors just doing a beautiful gradient background. And it was very addictive. I did not get to the final color in the gradient, which I think is okay. It was a fairly dark pink, so it wouldn't have shown up quite as much against the, or I guess the purple wouldn't have shown up quite as much against that pink. So I'm okay with that. I got through a whole bunch of other colors and it looks really pretty. I'm very excited. Cool. Now I have to get around to blocking it. Well, it'll that good dry so fast right, in this weather, you really got to hop on it. I know. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I've been thinking. I was going to do it, and then we had a foggy day, so I said, ah, don't need to bother. And now it's just been sunny, and eventually that's going to stop. So I do need to get on that. And then my other one is another cowl, the Bead Stitch Cowl by Erica Dietz. This one is crochet. What? I know. So Pigskin Party, Down Cellar Studio five month make along during the American football season. Usually every month they have a little quick challenge, something to do and you, you're entered in a separate little month long contest for sponsor prizes and, and whatnot. And it's usually something to expand your knitting knowledge. So this one was literally just knit something in the next two weeks that is a new technique for you. So I've been knitting for a while, so there aren't too many knitting techniques that I haven't done and if Bri I haven't brioche and tarsha <laughs> okay but you have to do the project in two weeks yeah so it's got to it should be a quick little thing it's gotta be a washcloth <laughs> something like that yeah. so i couldn't i was like trying to think as i thought maybe i could do a pair of socks with a new heel but i didn't feel like putting that much time into socks that's not where my head is i knew i had these other projects coming up including two sweaters that i really wanted to focus on i didn't want to get you know, socks, getting all my, my time and attention. Then it occurred to me that I don't crochet. The chain stitch is pretty much the only thing I can do regularly without looking up anything. So I went through and found a cute crochet cowl that looked fairly simple. It was a free pattern. So that's always nice. <laughs> it was very low investment. I found some leftover yarn I'm using the Mouse House Fiber Company store in Lagoon, which was a yarn that I won I don't know, several years ago. And it's beautiful. It's this bright lagoon-like blue, very soft. And I had used most of it up in a different cowl and I had a good chunk of it left. So I was very pleased to do that. And then I just took a Saturday in between other stuff and sat down and figured out this crochet pattern, which was pretty hilarious. It went really well at first. I did the chain stitch. I gotta see this. Oh. So it starts off with a couple of rows of, I 
think they're half double crochets done through the third loop, which is kind of like doing a knitting through a back loop. It looks like a bobble almost. Yeah, so that's the bead stitch. And it is very much like a bobble and it is um, equally as annoying to, <laughs> to make. I love bobbles, not like on the front part of my body, but yes. I love all the sleeve ones that I see right now with the, you know, big puffy uh, sleeves yeah. that have bobbles, bobbles, whatever. Yep. So you do a couple of rows of things that end up looking like sideways knit stitches. Then you do a bunch of bead stitches which are like bobbles or noops, and then you repeat it. So my first set of repeats is a little wonky, and then I had to figure out how to count stitches in crochet, which I don't know how to do because you do a stitch and then you would skip a stitch and then start the next one. So I had to like take out a whole roll of bobbles, which was slightly heartbreaking because <laughs> I had totally screwed it up and I kept skipping two stitches. and. But anyway, so it was a really fun learning process. It turned out quite well overall for like my first serious crochet object. And you learned a new thing. And I learned several new things and it was kind of hilarious because I'd have to, so I'd do a row and I'd figure it out and then I'd stop and I'd see this, the, what the stitches were for the next one and like, okay, go, let me go YouTube this. But I don't even know how to read the patterns. I mean, I can sort of figure it out because of knitting Right. But it started off, I think every row sort of started off with chain two and then do your half double crochet and then repeat around. And so in my brain that was you repeat the whole thing even though there weren't brackets. And it wasn't. You start off with chain two and that kind of builds your next row. It's a crochet thing. Which I now know. <laughs> but just, yeah, so it was, it was a whole very interesting mind-bending project. And the beginning of the first set is a little wonky but after that it smooths out and looks very nice. So I don't know what I'm gonna do with it. I might just keep it for myself. I might, if I decide that it's unwonky enough, I can give it to charity or we'll see. But it's, it's a beautiful teacher gift. Oh, that's true too. And it's a great color. Like, it is a beautiful color it, and the yarn is really nice. You cannot tell that, first of all, you can't really tell it's crocheted or I can't. Yeah, no, it looks very much like knitting, especially yeah. the, the way the, the knitting through the third loop it pu I guess it pushes the stitches over and it totally looks like knitting. It's fascinating. It's really cool. Yeah, and the bobble is, it's a bobble, so. Bravo. Thanks. So that was fun. So then I did get to take part in the September interception, so that was fun. And then the two knit-alongs that I wanted to participate in began. The first one is the All Work Gnome Play, the seventh mystery knit-along from Sarah Shira. And that is still ongoing. We just got clue six today. Still haven't done clue five. What? Oh, you haven't done clue I haven't five. clue five. Yes, <laughs> I thought no. maybe she jumped right to six. Like, oh, no. You figure it out, <laughs> gnomies. That's a mystery. <laughs> it's more of a mystery than you were expecting. It is, it is a different kind of project than she has done before, so it is taking me a little more time to find the, the mental capacity to sit down and, and attack it. Um, I will probably talk more about it once it's finished and the mystery has all been revealed in case anyone is playing along and is even farther behind than I am. But it is very cute and I'm using the leftover yarn from my hide and peek sweater because it was in all these lovely fall colors. It's a fall gnome and I had a bunch left over so I'm pretty pleased with that. I think I'm not using the brick red. Uh, I'm using the yellow and the pink and the gray. Although we'll see. might. You know, it's my gnome. I might throw some red in there. We'll, we will see. The problem with like doing red and gold is then you have a 49ers 
gnome and I'm not sure that I want that. So that is moving along. And then I started my newspaper pullover. Yay, I'm so excited. That's oh. kind of what made me think of this. The brioche. Yeah. Yeah. It has that same effect. Yeah, yeah, it's two color brioche just without the intarsia part. <laughs> Thank goodness. How hard can it be? <laughs> it's, it's apparently, <laughs> it, it claims to be easier than the regular intarsia, so we'll we shall see. see. So apparently I am taking the harder class because I'm taking an introduction to intarsia. Anyway, newspaper pullover, Hohi Locatelli. I am making it in my biche et bouche, le petit lamb's wool in light gray and a cigar yarn spinny in charcoal. So light gray, very, very dark gray. One is uh, probably actually a lace weight and the other is light fingering. So they're a little bit off, but it seems to be working out okay. It is a whole brioche sweater. You keep switching back and forth which color is dominant. So you have blocks where the white is first and then the gray is first, like four blocks around and then you do that for a while and then you swap so that you have, you know, so it goes white, gray, white, gray, and then you go to gray, white, gray, white. So it's gonna be very cool. It is taking forever. I'm not a fast brioche knitter. She does an amazing job with the pattern. It is all spelled out row by row, which is really nice, including what color you're supposed to be using. She does like row A and row B because you're basically with brioche, you end up knitting each row twice. So I'm getting faster. At some point I might, once we get at least to the body of the sweater, I might go dig up my sock madness pattern that did two color brioche and had a way of doing it so that you do both the colors at the same time. I don't know if that will actually be faster. It might just feel faster <laughs> or at least yeah. less repetitive. So we will see, but it is really, it is so fluffy. It is so cushy and gorgeous. And it's going to be, I think this really interesting mix of very lightweight and yet super warm because it's got mm, the lofty, double layer. Lofty. Yeah, yeah. So I am very motivated to keep plugging away on that. We will see. I don't know that I will actually get it finished by October 31st, but I do have a couple of cross-country plane flights coming up. And I mean, the yarn is fairly small, so I might be able to, to make that work. We shall see. Stay tuned for details. And then I have another sweater started because apparently I'm Crazy. Well, it's sweater weather. Not but, today. Not actually, but not, eventually. Not right now. It's getting to be there. Yeah. It is mentally sweater season, yes, because it is almost October. But the yarn for Simon's Hide and Peak sweater came in. This is the one where I knit one for myself, and he was printing out the pattern and said, oh, is this for me? I said, well, uh, no, but did you want one? And he said, sure. So the yarn came in. Hmm? Rick this rack. is the Rick Rack sweater. The Rick Rack sweater. Yeah also known as the Rick Rack sweater. Yes, so the yarn came in from Sugar Plum Circus. I had a lovely chat with her about colors and making sure it was all gonna look fantastic. So we shall see. So I've been working on that and kind of alternating with the brioche. It is a much more straightforward pattern, but I do still have to really pay attention because it's two colors at once. I'm still on the yoke. Once I get past that, it'll just be miles of stockinette in charcoal gray and that's kind of what I'm trying to get to because I realized I have nothing that is mindless knitting which is or portable even <laughs> I got two sweaters and a gnome <laughs> I mean I guess the gnome is portable but it's so fiddly and little that it's not really you know yeah. pick up 
in the doctor's office waiting room or whatever, waiting to pick up kids kind of thing. So I wanted something that was just mindless knitting. I still need something portable, so I do need another project. I'm not quite sure what that is going to be. Socks, I guess. Even I have, I do have some socks sitting around, but I was going to do a different heel on them. The uh, vanilla is the new black pattern, which is a really nice heel and good for self-striping yarn, which is what I'm using. But I need to sit down with the pattern and get the heel started. And I think once I do that, it'll be good for a little bit, but I am not there yet. So such is the frustrations of a knitter's life. It's yes. Very dramatic and and I know you all are so sad for me and feel my pain. <laughs> I appreciate it. But yeah, so that is that is plenty of knitting. What is on the easel? Well, first, my needles are sewing needles these days. Although I have purchased the pattern for my next sweater. I haven't made it any farther than that. That's a start. Yeah. I made these pants. <gasps> really? Really? Wow. And you can't tell, so that yeah. means that I did okay. Yeah. I have a provisional hem on them because I think that, and I'm going to stand up to get Monica's opinion, I think that they should be a little bit shorter. I'm kind of fidgeting with them. I think they'd be cute at like a 7 8 hem. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think they're fine the way they are. If you want to go shorter, that's going to be a whole different look. Right. Which would be cute. Yeah, and it's fall, so maybe I do want to just leave them there. But I you could draft, hem them in the spring. I could. I drafted the pockets myself. The the pants didn't have pockets, and they're perfect. They I are. I think pockets should fit your hand. <laughs> it's a they low, should fit something at least. It's a low bar for a pocket yeah. to fit your hand, so I was extra careful about drafting those to fit. Very wearable. They're amazing. Super thick ponte, double knit ponte. That's awesome. I've washed them three times now, and so oh. they're really great. Very happy with. I it. have a birthday coming up. You know, if you need to. We could totally. I could <laughs> totally something. make you a pair. The serger makes these so fast and easy. Mm. I think ninety percent of it is on the serger, so that means that the seams get finished like straight yeah. away. So nice. I foresee making at least one more pair of these for myself and maybe a pair for Monica now. <laughs> They're great run around, can paint in them, you know, easy everyday paint. Yeah. Then the painting. So I have been painting lots of weird little things because I think I'm going to do another calendar. So a 2022 calendar, I'm not sure about the theme yet. Last year's calendar was a mix of like things and nature and and it was a hodgepodge and I don't know if I want to do that same thing for this year or what so I've been painting all kinds of stuff trying to figure that out and then I talked to Daria and we're gonna do gouache vember again oh, so I'm excited about that because Holbein released a whole series of new color palettes. Oh, I was thinking, has it been dead for a while? Yes. Hol <laughs> yes. Holbein is the name of a Japanese paint company in his honor, and they make awesome design gouache. They also make excellent acrylic gouache, but I use design. And they have way more acrylic gouache colors than they do design. 
but they came out with four seasons. So a, a spring, summer, winter, fall, four different palettes mm -hmm. that are very Japanese. And it's the Irodori line of palettes. And so I totally splurged and I bought two whole palettes, the autumn and winter, and a couple from spring. The summer ones feel more like the straight up Holbein colors, and maybe I didn't need them in my life. So how many colors are in a palette? Twelve. Oh, wow. I'm stocking the FedEx driver as I speak because I'm so excited for this paint to land. I've also been... This is totally process side of it, but I've been thinking about changing up how I use my paints. So design gouache can be reactivated with water. So if it dries on a palette, you can get it wet and keep going, like watercolor. Although sometimes you lose a little bit of the intensity. I, for many years, have used a stay wet palette, which is like a, a flat, clamshell box that has a sponge and then like a sheet of special paper and you can put your paint on that and it stays damp so that you don't have to constantly re-wet your gouache. The problem is that it's like not enough space for me and things get muddy and then I have to mix more paint and it's not the right color and so I've been entertaining like separate paint pots and so yesterday I found like 35 little paint pots. I think they were cosmetic jars that somebody recycled at scrap. And so I'm gonna play with using 20 of them at a time or whatever to make up my limited color palette, but then I can make enough paint mixture, color mixture, to last through a whole project and not have to I don't know, it's it's a different way of working for me and I'm not sure how it'll go. So I will have to report back, but I'm super excited. I The day that I got my class ticket for Stitches West, what I had been stalking the Dick Blick website to see when the Iridori paints were gonna be in stock. And as soon as I got my <laughs> class, then the paints were in stock and it was like, today is retail magic. You know, it was just, everything was aligning. Excellent. So that was very good. And then, for reasons that will become more clear during our nightstand session, I've been reading the sonnets and painting things from the sonnets. Mm. Simple. Shakespeare? Uh-huh. Okay. Simpler scenes or icons or moments. I'll talk about that a little bit more in the nightstand. So on the table, baking. I have been baking, apparently, because... Yeah. Yeah, the kids being back in school and doing stuff is making dinner very tricky. So as long as there's treats or after, everyone stays happy. That's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. Yes, this is the cornerstone of my family <laughs> life. <laughs> well, I'm a little slow sometimes. So the first one is a result of my previous cooking breakdown or meal planning breakdown. And Smitten Kitchen on her website has a button you can push that's like a surprise me button and it'll just bring up a recipe. So I said, all right, I'm just, I can't think of what I want to eat. I'm just going with that. And what comes up? Potato chip cookies. Very unhelpful for dinner planning, but quite intriguing, I will say. I have made those. Yeah. What do you think? 
They were good. They they were very, you know, shortbread sugar cookie. And I realized when I actually got ready to make them that the potato chips I was thinking of using were the sea salt and vinegar potato chips, <laughs> which worked out okay. Really, you couldn't really taste the <laughs> vinegar. It was just the crunchy potatoey stuff. So yeah, they they went over. Uh, they were a hit. You know, I mean, they're cookies. They're sugar. So right with potato chips. With potato that. chips. So yeah, so it was a nice combo. Pretty easy to make. I would probably go back and get non-vinegar potato chips just to I to love see. to use the um I mean I've only done this twice but I love those Cape Cod potato chips they're really hard to yeah, yeah, eat yeah. on a normal day but when they're mixed in with batter they're just right yeah I used kettle yeah the kettle chip yeah, the sea salt and vinegar exactly. so same same same, same except again vinegar but yeah I would definitely make those again and then I had Trader Joe's, the last time I was there, had sea salt caramel baking chips. So I thought, well, these are coming home with me, as, as things often do from Trader Joe's. And not pumpkin related, so that was also very <laughs> exciting. So they've been sitting, I mean, sitting around for like a week or two. Um, while I was trying to think what to do with them and, you know, tossing around ideas. First, I was thinking, put them in sugar cookies, so instead of chocolate chip, they'd be sea salt caramel. And I thought, oh, blondies, that would be really good. So luckily, 100 Cookies has several blondie recipes. For some reason- All of, all of them are excellent. <laughs> uh, yeah, clearly. So for some reason, I completely missed the basic blondies recipe and went straight to the browned butter blondies recipe, which she puts chocolate chips in, so I figured, caramel chips. I just thought that would be such a nice play. Caramel yeah. and the butter and the the sugar. And so anyway, and they were amazing. The problem with that recipe is that it calls for two eggs and four yolks. And I was like, not in the mood to do that. <laughs> and so I texted Courtney, hey, do you think I could just use three eggs? And she has a life, so she did not answer me right away. And by the, t and by the time I got to it, I was like, it was uh. like six minutes. <laughs> It was totally longer. It was definitely longer than that because I had to melt all the butter, put in the stuff, and then and then let it cool to room temperature. It was at least 10 minutes. I said you had a Eight minutes. Oh, my 1242 God. 1242 to 1254. Uh, okay. Oh, well, that's 12 minutes. I can't. I can't do math. There 12 minutes. You're right. All right. I'm, I'm not upset at all. I figured if I didn't get a good answer from my baking guru, then I would just have podcast content. And here we are. <laughs> no, so I just did not want to deal with leftover, with, se with A, separating, B, having yolks floating around. Yeah, and that's 12 eggs, or that's six eggs. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. a lot of eggs. I was like, I, I don't feel like it needs as much. I'm doing three eggs. If I had gone back one page, I would have seen the regular brownie uh, blondie recipe, which calls for one egg. Yeah. And I think equal amounts of butter. So these were really, really, really rich blondies. <laughs> oh my gosh. My family, they have lasted in this house. And it's a 9 by 13 pan. It was beautiful. It is amazing. It was so decadent. They have lasted at least two days now because you can't eat more than a little tiny bite. Even my giant teenage boys. I mean, they will continually have tiny little bites. They're really funny. good. And the chips are really good. I had one before I dumped them all in. They are very salty and caramelly. So great. If play. I see those mm -hmm. again, I will grab them. 
fun. And I would recommend them. Yeah. So that was good. And then I did do some actual cooking. I do need to do another um, Rancho Gordo bean order because I am getting low. But I am down to, I think I have maybe one more bag left. I still have my bag of black chickpeas from them. I ordered from a different company previously. And then when I was doing my most recent order, um, they had them. So I thought I'd try those. So I was looking for something to do with those. Mira Soda on her actual website has a recipe for what she calls workers curry but it's uh, chana masala so that uses regular chickpeas whatever i'm making them with black chickpeas it was a really good recipe like a lot of hers it's actually really simple there was a little bit more time involved in it than i thought like you put the the onions in the pan and cook them for 10 minutes and you really do need the time with those things to develop the flavor since there aren't a ton of ingredients. I also got to break out the mortar and pestle for grinding uh, ginger and garlic and I used a jalapeno. The recipe is in British so I can't remember what pepper it was. I just, no the like the names are a little oh, oh. different. Not that there was an eggplant in there but aubergine she would use aubergine not eggplant kind of thing. So gotcha. whatever pepper she said I was like I don't know what this is. I'm just going to use a jalapeno because we don't want a ton of spice anyway. Um, but it was very satisfying to grind them all together in the mortar and pestle. So very excited about that. And then tomato paste and canned tomatoes, various spices, let it all cook. Ended up using some of the broth from the chickpeas, the cooking broth, to add back in some more liquid. She uses regular water, but I thought, why not? Get a little more flavor in there. And it was really good. I, I finally made a curry dish. I hit my heat notes just right. It was just a little bit spicy, but everyone's taste buds stayed intact. So that was good because it has been a while since I've managed that. You know, served it with some brown basmati. And then I made some palak paneer, which is the spinach and the paneer cheese. And I just, I had gotten a bag of frozen spinach and just kind of sauteed it, threw some other spices in there. I had no cream, so I used milk and said, hope this works. Um, and I just added a little bit of creaminess to it. I did have exploding paneer cheese because you fry it first to get it. Is it crispy. like halloumi? Yeah. Okay. It's not, uh, I don't think of it as being quite as salty, but same idea, like a non-melting solid kind of cheese. But I think, I guess my pan was just a little too hot. <laughs> and I had, I had pieces of cheese exploding across the kitchen. So that was... <laughs> That was exciting, but that turned out really well also. So that was kind of fun. And then um, some naan bread and my new gluten-free pizza dough, stick it in the oven and pretend it's flatbread system. Super. Yeah. So that was very delicious. What recipe are you using for the naan bread? There's some great ones in Tuesday night. This one is a cheater from Weekday Vegetarians where you use pizza dough. It's the one with the oh. pizza dough with the za'atar, um, which I have been doing a bunch of, and this time I just didn't put the za'atar. Just it's olive oil and garlic powder. Perfect, delicious, and super easy. And yeah. then I just buy non bread for boy two and I. Excellent. Yeah, it was good. How about you? Well, this week we honored my dad who passed a year ago, um, which is kind of surreal in its own way, but. One of the ways we like to remember our people is to cook some of their favorite things and eat meals together and remember. 
so we did that a little bit this week. My my dad loved lobster, but my kids don't. So oh. we, we went alternative meat routes for my dad. Maybe someday they'll like lobster, and then we can really... I say that I have one kid that will not eat it. So. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, too. Oh, so good. It is probably mostly about the butter, but still... <laughs> I love the flavor of lobster. Yeah, no, I know it is, that. It is really good. But it also, when I've gotten it out here, it isn't the same as, even though it's shipped across the country, it just tastes a little different. I don't know. I mean, that long plank fight is stressful. Absolutely. Poor lobsters. Here's a vat <laughs> of boiling water. Anyway, my dad had a real sweet tooth. So we did, we did honor that with... <laughs> One of his favorite things was chocolate cream pie. And mm. we talked about this forever ago, how my grandmother would make it with, like, one of those store-bought graham cracker crust pudding, like, jello pudding, and then, like, a layer of Cool Whip. And that's it. So... I mean, that, that sounds It's fine. not the worst. No. However... I have that great pie, the Pie Academy or oh, something yeah. like that, that I have been wanting to cook from. So I did a total mashup version because there was nothing that was quite right. So I did a pretzel crust. My dad loved pretzels. It wasn't too, too bad. It was kind I could have, I should have ground it up more, mm. I think, and maybe added a couple graham crackers. I don't know. It was good. Then for the chocolate part, I was looking at a recipe in the Pie Academy cookbook. I think that's what it's called. And it was almost exactly the same recipe as my chocolate mousse pie. And then I got them out and compared them. And my chocolate mousse pie, you make a chocolate ganache and then you fold in all of this whipped cream. It's basically chocolate ganache whipped cream. So I cheated, folded it all together, and basically made my chocolate cream pie the chocolate mousse version, whatever. And then I did do a layer of whipped cream on top, which is more of the topping for the citrus pie bars from 100 Cookies. Because it has just a little bit of cream cheese in it, which I think helps stabilize the whipped cream. Mm. And your boy liked it. Our, all, uh, the whole family right. loved it. Well, but your non-cream liking boy was yeah, more he into did. that. So. He did. And that's what made me think of it. You're yeah. absolutely right. Good memory. So that was, that was for my dad. My brother-in-law had a birthday. His favorite cookies are snickerdoodles. Mm, so good choice. I was making the pan-banged snickerdoodles from 100 Cookies. Solid recipe. I've made it like... I don't know, yeah. four times before. Have you compared the the regular and the pan-banged ones? No, because everybody loves yeah. the big monster cookies. Five-foot cookies, yeah. Fair. So, if you'll recall, snickerdoodles are generally rolled in sugar and cinnamon before they're baked off, so that they have that crinkly crust on the outside. I wasn't paying attention and put the sugar that should have been on the outside on the inside. So here's a cookie that has 16% more sugar on the inside than it does, than it needs to have. And so I stopped for a second and I thought, I could either have a little overly sweet cookie, which nobody is totally going to complain about, or 
I can have my husband do the advanced math to figure out how much more I need to add of everything because it was still at a stage where I could add in. And so I had him do it. He's the one who figured out that it was 16% more sugar, (laughs) obviously. And so he did... I was kind of impressed with your mathing there. He did the math to for the big stuff, the flour, butter, and then I just added like a pinch more uh, accordingly. They came out awesome, and we had 16% more cookies. No one's going to argue with that. I felt like it was worth the advanced math. Well, you didn't have to do it. I didn't have to do it, and that's what he's there for, right? You marry somebody who has other strengths, and, and then everyone's happy. Teamwork. Teamwork. Um, so that was a win. My fail, well, that was a win with help. My fail this week was this pan-roasted Chinese eggplant that I thought was a recipe, but basically it was just, hey, you can roast a Chinese eggplant in a pan. <laughs> it didn't really happen. So this know. is why we read the recipe before. We- well, here's the thing. I wanted it with something else, and the recipe had uh. this sesame-crusted chicken, which sounded great, but we were eating something else. And these Chinese eggplant were languishing, mm. and I felt like, I'll just do the eggplant portion. So I put them in the skillet, and then I'm as they're cooking in the skillet, I'm reading the recipe, and it's like, yeah, just olive oil <laughs> them, roast them in a skillet, and then add them to the chicken. So there was nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> and so everybody was really underwhelmed with the eggplant. I liked it because I just... I like eggplant and it had kind of a charred body like after that and it was really jammy and great but no one else did and then I did some great repeat recipes that I haven't done for a long time the melting potatoes from Smitten Kitchen oh yeah people you need these in your life yeah the season make some potatoes it's such a good recipe and then the other one is this butter chicken from Modern Proper that can be done in a slow cooker, and it's full of great flavor. Turmeric. I remember you talking about that, yeah. Chiefly turmeric, because it's so orange in the end. But there's tomato sauce, and it just really melds well. I like it with a little cilantro on top mm. or some feta cheese for a little sharpness. That's a great recipe that I that I revisited this week. Nice. That's our table. All right, then. On the nightstand. Are you ready for the book count this week? No. Five. Wow. You're What's more than wrong. No. I've been knitting. See, life life must be in balance. I had all that knitting, fewer yeah. books. And I don't I haven't found a good audiobook replacement for my Louise Penny since, as you know, I screwed up what I requested. I was so proud of myself. A month ago I went and and when I was on book 14 of Inspector Gamache, I said, oh, I'm going to run out of books. I should put the most recent one, number 17, the audiobook. I will put it on hold at my library so that by the time I finish the other ones, this one will appear. Yesterday, I get a notice. Oh, your audiobook is ready. Except I had not requested the audiobook. I had requested the regular ebook. Wah, wah. I was a little sad. So I have, I don't know, I mean, so I I accepted the ebook. I have it, I have 15 other books I have to read first, so we'll see what happens, and I went in and requested the audiobook, 
They said it'll take about seven weeks. They're usually off by like two weeks in the other way. So I'm thinking maybe a month I'll have it, but you never know. Yeah, so I've started a couple of the audiobooks and nothing has really grabbed me. So I haven't been going back to them. So that is that has been a struggle, another struggle in my difficult, difficult life. But yeah, lots of books. And I was noticing in my Goodreads, I have lots of four stars. So wow, that's very exciting. I don't know if you people will agree with it, but this is my, <laughs> if you like reading, like I like reading the kind of books that I like reading, then you might be entertained as well. So starting off with The Countess Conspiracy by Courtney Milan, which as you might guess is a romance. This is the third book in the series. And I've read the first one. And like most of them, you don't really need to read the other ones. This one did kind of <laughs> jump in. The couple in question, Sebastian and Violet, have known each other since they were children. They've been great friends their whole life. So this is a friends to lovers book. And they, they share a secret and they have personal secrets. And everything is starting to come out into the open, and that is the, that is what happens. But so it starts off, there's none of that getting to know each other part at the beginning, where even if you already knew one of the characters, you still have to get to know the new person. Like, we already know them. They've both been in all the other books. They jump right in. There's a little bit of backstory to catch you up. But it felt very zero to 60. So it was a little, little off-putting. Not, not in a bad way, but... It was a little, I felt like I should have read the other ones, both of the other ones, just so that I would be up to speed and have an investment in these characters, which I did not currently have. However, really nice writing, very beautiful, very emotional. Her romances are a little less light and fluffy than I usually like. They're really beautiful, great romance, but more Bogart and Bacall and not Hepburn and Tracy. Okay. Both awesome and wonderful but you have to be in the right mood for whichever book so i do now really want to go back and read the second one so i can kind of feel that that secret and and get up to speed on on what all else was happening so that is the countess conspiracy by courtney milan and then i read not one but two more of the october day books by shannon mcguire the first one which is the second one in the series think about that for a second uh, a local habitation october's boss his niece has not been responding to phone calls and has kind of dropped out of sight so he sends toby to fremont california <laughs> these take place in the bay area so i find that very amusing to check on her make sure she's okay find out what's going on she gets there the niece says oh yeah everything's fine and then bodies start piling up and toby has to figure out what's going on and this third well so the second one i read the third one in the series is artificial night a bunch of children, uh, fairy children and some human children disappear overnight and Toby is in charge of getting them back and lots of ups and downs, mystery and drama and adventure stuff. I'm really getting into this series, lots of interesting characters. The only downside for me is that I have seen a lot of spoilers about the most recent book, which is number 13, I think. I'm do, not, do you think you'll remember the spoiler by the time you yeah. get to it? Oh, okay. Because you can see how, even at this point, like the most recent book is number 13 or 14. And I mean, the books I'm reading came out 10 years ago. I'm not expecting people to not do spoilers for a book that happened 10 years ago, but you can see <laughs> like, even at that point, 
she's thinking about this whole arc, which is pretty impressive. But so I know stuff that's going to happen to the characters. So it's, I'm trying to just embrace it and just be, okay, like, I see how it's going to go. Like, it's adding an extra level of knowledge. It's like rereading it without having read it the first time. So, yeah, so I am also very excited to see how it's all going to get to that point that I, I know that they will get to. And she's such a great writer, just in general. Everything I've read of hers, I've really been very impressed with. And she has many different styles of writing, and I like those very much. And then another romance, The View Was Exhausting by Michaela Clements and Anjuli Data. This one is the story of when Tagori and Leo Malinowski. Win is a British Asian Hollywood movie star, and Leo is a hotel heir, so lots of money, kind of playboy lifestyle. And they have been pretending to date for like seven or eight years and every time she has kind of a crisis in her career they will pretend to be going out and the people love them social media loves them it deflects from her crisis from whatever's going on or you know proves to the studio execs that she can bring in the numbers obviously they both end up realizing they feel something more but they don't want to ruin their friendship and or and then there's another crisis and so many crises much glamorous location events. It was really good. I mean, it's it's a typical romance, but it's a little more serious. It's happening now. Lots of issues with racism and misogyny and all those good things, but really fun as well. I, that one was another one that I enjoyed and I, I didn't have as much time to read, but I was always very sad to put it down and excited to pick it back up. The view was exhausting. And finally, a book book. <laughs> It wasn't all book books. I know. Literature book, shall we say. The Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead, which is shortlisted for the Booker Prize this year. I think that's how it ended up on my reading list. This is one of those back and forth books, two timelines. The first in the present is Hadley, who is another Hollywood movie star. She has been starring in a kind of Twilight-esque young adult movie fandom series. But she screwed up and just got fired, so she's trying to rebuild her life. Her neighbor offers her a role in a biopic with the next Coen brothers, so kind of artsy and all those good things, about a female pilot who disappeared in the 50s, flying around the world over the poles. And so the other story is obviously the story of that pilot, Marion Graves, her life, all the things going on behind the scenes that the you know people don't know about from her letters and diaries and all that, that kind of thing. It started off pretty difficult. There is a lot of sexual violence against women in more of a power struggle kind of way, not so much in, you know, strangers doing things. And no, there were no redeeming characters. It was just all like really bad men and really put upon women. But eventually the characters start to grow up and get more in control of themselves and have some agency. The fact that they weren't one-dimensional becomes more interesting. So I ended up really liking it. A lot of times when you've got the two timelines, you're kind of sad when one character goes away. I never felt like that. I was always excited to get back to the, the whoever was I hadn't been reading about. Lots of good, good things going on in their lives. Yeah, so that one um, was really interesting. There's a lot of art in there. The pilot's brother is an artist and her uncle as well. So lots of talk about art and what he's trying to do. He was a Navy artist during World War II. 
so which was like who knew and then with the flying so there's there's lots of great descriptions of scenery she grows up in montana and lives in alaska for a while so lots of western landscapes and open air and and all those things so yeah so i really like that one as well a little rough at the beginning but a good good ending so the great circle by maggie shipstead that one has been on my list and then I had too many books, and so I passed, and I don't know. It hasn't landed. Yeah, I think you need to be in the right mood for it. Yeah. But I'm glad that I got to it. Excellent. Yeah. How about you? I read Hamnet. Oh, yeah. You had read it? No. (sighs) I don't know why. There was a huge wait for it at the library for a while, Mm -hmm. and then my book group said we were looking for a book, and we landed on Hamnet, and oh, my gosh. I loved every minute of it, every page of this book. I just think it's brilliant for so many reasons. For those of you who maybe don't remember Monica's quick review of it, geez, it's been like four months, five months since she reviewed it. I mean, it's out in paperback now, and I read it fairly soon after it came out, but anyway. In brief, this is a novel a fictionalized account of Shakespeare's son, Hamnet, who died in the novel very early on, dies of the plague. I mean, it happened 500 years ago, so it's not really a spoiler. (laughs) Right. But I think it's tricky because they don't really know if he actually died of the plague. That's, that's That's speculation. That's my hesitation there. So that's my one sentence brief of this. It's important for me to say that Like, I was almost a Shakespearean studies major in college because I wasn't allowed to declare until halfway through my junior year when I had been accepted into the creative writing program. So my fallback was going to be art and Shakespeare. And I was going to do this whole big thing with art and Shakespeare, which is why I'm painting Ah. things from the sonnets now. Anyway, part of me is remembering back stuff from 22, 23 years ago, and thinking how Maggie O'Farrell put this incredible story in motion. There are so many things that she could only speculate about. And so that was also part of my momentum of reading through this book was how she depicted his kids, how she depicted his wife, Stratford-upon-Avon is a very well-preserved historical township, so I feel like her her descriptions of that were very accurate. But on the whole, just for Shakespearean scholars, there's not a lot to go from. And so I was just incredibly caught up in this. I've also read her nonfiction book, I Am, I Am, I Am, Mm. which I talked about ages ago and did not like it. I thought it was problematic for me. But anyway, I couldn't believe that this was the same writer. I'm so excited to go look at her other fiction because I thought this was incredibly transportive. So right after I read Hamnet, I started the audio version of Bill Bryson's Shakespeare. Hmm. So there, Bill Bryson wrote a great biography of Shakespeare, which is saying something because, like I said, we don't know a lot about William Shakespeare. And I think what was so superb about the follow-on listening to the biography, 
first of all, Bill Bryson is kind of funny, so there's some levity to it that is pretty delightful. But he talks about all of the conjectures that you have to make to place yourself in Shakespeare's time and shoes, because we don't have the mm -hmm. first source documents from, like I think we've only got a few playbills. We've, we don't really have anything in his handwriting. We have six signatures and they don't even know if that's, if two of them are accurate or whatever. And then there's the, the likeness stuff. This is how the book opens. He talks about the three likenesses of William Shakespeare. There's that really classic painting with the, the mm -hmm. gold ring in his ear. And then there's a bust at his gravesite in Stratford-upon-Avon. And then there's an etching. It gives him like a really big forehead and he just like looks out of whack. Those are the only three likenesses, and we don't even know if that painting is really Shakespeare. Like, mm -hmm. it, the timing works out, they've dated it. It was just such a great deep dive into the backside of the Hamnet book. Yeah. And conflating, not Hamnet, but the plague with, with his touring plays, how his play group was affected by closures because of the plague, and all of that feels really timely. Yeah. Of course, which is bananas. So I adored listening to the Bill Bryson Shakespeare. Oh, and he does a great job of debunking the Shakespearean authorship, the Oxfordian mm -hmm. um, authorship problem, which is like lots of people saying Shakespeare couldn't have been one person. He wasn't well educated, yada, yada. I love the chapter of Bill Bryson debunking this entire thing <laughs> because in 1996 is when it sort of resurfaced and that's when I was in school. So it's been very much a part of the conversation for me and I love how swiftly Bill Bryson folds that house of cards, which is basically if you wrote King Lear, would you put somebody else's name on it? <laughs> I just think that's great. So that was Shakespeare. And then, I'm not sure where I picked or where I had heard about it, but there's this book called Why Peacocks by Sean Flynn. And it's all about, it's like a, a personal creative nonfiction book about a family in North Carolina who, they get three peacocks and what it's like to, <laughs> I know, why peacocks, right? And the way that he weaves it, he's a sports writer, I think, by trade, but the way he weaves it through Flannery O'Connor, she had a lot of peacocks, I guess. Oh. Martha Stewart has like 23 peacocks. And how peacocks are important in like heraldry, they're in Shakespeare. They, I watched an episode of something about the Spanish queen or the Spanish princess or something. And they were walking around in the background. Or when we go over to San Francisco Zoo, say, and they're yeah. walking around San Francisco Zoo. It is a really funny book about peacocks that nobody cares about. That's wrong. People care about peacocks, but most people do not care about peacocks. <laughs> because they have, like, no... Not a whole book's worth, anyway. Right. They have, like, no marketable value. Like, they're terrible <laughs> tasting. You know, they're not worth the the meat. Oh, they don't taste that. like chicken. Yeah, they don't <laughs> taste like chicken, for sure. 
And so, like, why would you have peacocks? They're a pain, kind of, and they're loud. And yeah. this book they're is pretty, right? They're very aesthetic. Yeah. But this book is a really funny walk through peacock Lore. Uh, husbandry. <laughs> husbandry. Just really great. I loved it. It was really funny. It made me laugh out loud. And then lastly, I just closed the cover on Little by Edward Carey. Edward Carey is married to, this is relevant in my brain, Elizabeth McCracken, who wrote oh. the, the giant one, you know? I love her writing. Anyway, it's perfect in my brain that they should be a couple because Little is loosely based on Madame Tussard's wax museum history. The woman who became Madame Tussard is Marie Grossholtz. I picked it up because I thought it was interesting. Edward Carey does all of these illustrations throughout. They're just ink, pen, pen and ink illustrations of faces, and they're just weird and delightfully spooky, and I was sort of in the mood for that kind of thing. It takes place 1761 through 1850, French Revolution-ish, and consecutive years. She encounters all kinds of luminaries, and the wax stuff is super creepy and weird. <laughs> I hate wax museums, for the record. I don't that think I've ever not, been. I have no That does not desire. appeal to me at all. So at the end of it all, I looked up like wax Napoleon just to see what are we talking about here. And yes, there's lots of creepy wax Napoleons from the Madame Tussard's museums, but there's also this really beautiful candle that's like teal and it's like a very sad, solemn Napoleon <laughs> with his tricorn hat and now I kind of want that candle. <laughs> it's a candle? Uh-huh. It's so weird. I'll show that's you a picture. Very strange. Anyway, that's what I've been reading. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> wow. Weird, right? Yeah. I was all over the place. I am sorry, but that's that's how it goes. No. Enjoy Fat Bear Week. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of weird. <laughs> yes. Um, so until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.